Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the latest episode of this Going Long podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. I've got a special two-episode week for the podcast. I'm bringing on Tyson Alger from the I-5 Corridor today to do the first part of our season recap. Uh, if you guys remember back before the season started, Tyson came on and we talked about the 10 stories that we predicted that we would write for the Ducks this year. Um, from Bo Nix's Heisman campaign to the Battle of the Uyunglele Brothers in the Civil War. So to wrap that up, I'm bringing back Tyson on to talk about some of our favorite storylines from the season and the favorite stories that we actually did end up writing. I will plan to have another episode come out tomorrow. I'm recording this on Wednesday. Uh, I want to break down a bit of the bowl game, look at some of the transfer portal stuff, and then give my year-end awards for the Ducks this year. Um, I could have done one long mega episode, uh, but I went a little bit long with Tyson. So instead, I want to bring—I wanted to break it up into two different episodes. So you can expect the second part of that to come out on Thursday. Let's go ahead and bring in Tyson. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get into it. here with me always great guest to talk to tyson how are you how are the holidays hey it was good man happy new year thanks for having me on uh holidays were great went out to uh the coast was spent a couple days in gearheart before all the huge waves came in but uh it was was nice to nice to get away for a little bit how about you it's uh, yeah it's been good it was nice to i mean december is such a busy time like the first half of december between you know pac-12 championship game we had heisman we had recruiting transfer report all that stuff so once like christmas came we kind of got a few days that were just like a little quieter which is very nice we don't always get that in our industry i i I like that few day void from like the 23rd to maybe like the 26th where you like forget like yeah Yeah. because it's the the early the early transfer stuff or sorry the the early signing day really kind of threw a wrench in in what is otherwise a pretty leisurely schedule that we have (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, it's we're not breaking any news here. The college football schedule does not work in the month of December. I think that no, everyone it's not kind great. of yeah. <laughs> everyone agrees with that, but no one really knows what to do with it. So um, it's been a little interesting. It will be interesting to see how that goes going forward. Um, I had you on last offseason to preview the 2023 football season. We predicted five stories each that we thought would end up um, that we would oh, end man. up writing throughout the year. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I went back and actually listened to that episode earlier today just to remember what we predicted. I'm just gonna say it: pretty good episode. I think a lot of it actually really holds up. We did a pretty good job um, (laughs) predicting what would happen. As a refresher, here's I'm just gonna go through what we predicted. Um, We'll start with your predictions, and feel free to stop me at any time for comments or anything on on what you said. But you had, will the real Oregon defense please stand up? Basically saying, you know. What was going to happen? Like going into the Washington game, we didn't really know um, how good Oregon's defense was going to be because there's so much turnover. Um, and you were just kind of wondering, you know, if Oregon's defense was going to be able to hold up against Washington. Um, you also predicted that Bo Nix would play himself into the first round of the NFL draft. I think that we can count that as an early win. We'll see. Yeah. Um, you incorrectly predicted that Will Stein was going to see some serious head coaching buzz this offseason. Um, he was mentioned a little bit for the Houston job. I don't think it ever got too serious, but I think that's a prediction that Oregon you fans know, are pretty happy that didn't come yeah, through. 
you know, I, I think we just have to really like define the word buzz. Yeah. Cause you I know, think that's like, true. You know, I, you know, that maybe, maybe just like a little murmur, uh, but anyways, that athletic article. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Carry on, carry on. Okay. And then you predicted that traffic was going to be bad on I five the day after Thanksgiving, as we prepared for the corridor cup. Um, with a Pac-12 championship game on the line. I don't know. I didn't drive that route, but you can tell me how was traffic on that day? Actually, actually it was atrocious. It was about a five-hour commute. Um, okay. Un- unfortunately, it wasn't with like the entire Pac-12 on the line. Uh, Oregon yeah. State didn't quite hold up their bargain there, but um, I can only control so many things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Finally, you predicted that at the end of the year, we'd be wondering if Dan Landing was going to be back in 2024 or not, whether that be due to a poor season or for him leaving somewhere else after an incredible season. So thoughts on all of that. What are you most proud of? What predictions do you most want back? Uh, I'm proud of the Bo Nix one. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm still... I'm still not perfectly convinced on like Bo Nix, like the long-term NFL starter, but I think he's shown enough throughout his college career. Um, Accuracy is so important in the NFL these days. And, you know, I I think he's got a little bit of that on his resume. Um, So, yeah, like I I think he's probably a first or maybe like our early second round guy. So I I think I'm close with that. The, The last one I'm pretty... Uh, pretty wrong on because Dan has um, emphatically several times this year gone out of his way to say that he's going to be here. Um, what was it Dur- during the Fiesta Bowl um, run up? He, he said, said that, it could like, be this, his last this be, job. Yeah. Could be could be his last job. Um, I mean, technically, this could all be our last jobs if you want to get real morbid with it. But, wow, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. starting the new year off. Good um, so yeah, I, I think I think Oregon is obviously very happy with Dan Lanning as its head coach. And I think Dan Lanning is very happy being the coach of the Oregon Ducks. I also think he's a very, very smart person and knows how to kind of play, yeah. uh, play, play the strings a little bit, but yeah. I mean, Oregon savvy or Oregon absolutely has its head coach, um, you know, going into his third year. Like I, you know, it was a great hire by Rob Mullins. It's a great fit. And, Unfortunately, they're just six points less as less as good <laughs> as the team that's probably going to win the national championship. Yeah, game. I also want to say as honorable mentions that you did have in the end the Pac-12 killed itself, which yes, and also you had the I-5 corridor wins Pulitzer. So, do you care to update us on that last one? Yeah, you know we we're still getting uh, all of our reporting back from, you know, okay. we've, yeah. we've been international. It's hard to put all yeah. of our, our footage yeah. together. So we're really shooting for next year's uh, Pulitzer. <laughs> okay. Um, that sounds good. Okay. Yeah. For my predictions, I had um, transfers paradise, basically saying that Oregon would submit itself as the ultimate transfer destination. Nailed I feel pretty that. good about this one. Yeah. After the addition of Dylan Gabriel and Dante Moore, plus the play of Tez Johnson, Jordan Birch. Um, I had Knicks to New York, which was the very low hanging fruit of Bo Knicks being a Heisman finalist. That one was easy, um, but but it's it might have been low hanging, but the alliteration makes it worth it. Oh, yes, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. Um, I predicted more frustration about Bucky Irving's timeshare, which I think was a storyline that was actually Ooh. ironically saved by Noah Whittington's injury because we actually yeah. didn't see he was the de facto RB one this year. He didn't really have to deal with that timeshare. Let, let me ask you a question. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Go for it. At their best this year, who is better, Bucky Irvin or Jordan James? Oh, God. 
I mean, like if it, if, if if it's let's say, let's say it's second and five. I'm kind of. I think I'm giving the ball to Jordan James. <laughs> I mean, and that I sounds mean, insane dude, to say because Bucky's the, so good. I I had this thought watching the game, and it came right after that beautiful Bucky run where he comes yeah. up the right side, he traverses it all the way back to the left, and like mm-hmm. you see his vision. Mm-hmm. And I think Bucky's vision is as good as I've seen with the Oregon running back. And granted, yeah. I came after 2013, yeah. um, but the way that like. James like kind of slingshots himself out of the, mm-hmm. out of the backfield. I mean, he has such a head of steam, like when he hits the line of scrimmage and he's still averaging, like, what was it? Like 7.5 yards per yeah. carry this year. Yeah. The, the, mean, like the ducks are going to be in a pretty good spot at that position next year. Yeah. Not to demean Bucky Irving at all, because we're two people that are as high on him as anyone, but I am incredibly excited for the Jordan James era because what he's shown so far, um, it's very promising. Um, my next prediction, I really broke the hot take machine with this one. I said that with Tosh Lapoy gone, Oregon's Chris Hampton is promoted ooh, to the ooh, coordinator. Ooh, ooh. That one, when I heard that one on the podcast again, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. That was, that and, was and, and was, and I'm assuming that that was a Oregon's making a move to improve their defense. It was honestly, God. it was that Tosh Lapoy was going to take a head coaching job. It, and they were going to promote Hampton. So that was just a little bit off the mark, but not too bad. I, I mean, I mean did I, well this year. He did. He did great this year. And I will say, I feel like we saw more of him mm-hmm. in online instances, like the second half of the, like, like almost kind of felt like his profile was trying to be ra- raised yeah. a little bit, even if it was just kind of like offhand, like that video of him doing karaoke. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. He was a, an um, interesting figure this year for sure. Yeah. Um, my last prediction, I, I correctly called my shot here. I predicted that I would write a story on the divided Uyunglele household with DJ as the quarterback in Corvallis, Mateo playing down in Eugene. I actually wrote that story. Um, I talked to Big Dave Uyunglele, their father, titled A Father's Dream Behind Mateo and DJ Stands Big Dave, A Proud Dad. Um, I think that is easily my favorite story that I wrote during the season. So thoughts on any more of those predictions? Man, it it was fun to see like both of those players be effective for yeah. for for both of the teams. You know, I don't I don't know if DJ was quite the like the full on savior that Oregon State needed. I mean, correct. You know, they I, I think he kind of had his own flaws, but they were a good football team this year, and he was a good quarterback. It's just you're mm-hmm. gr- grading against what may be the number one and number two team in the country. Um, Very true. But boy, Mateo, Mateo sure looks awfully good, doesn't he? Like I, I, I think, think he's, he's got, got some talent, and, and and I think I think he's part of part of like the key piece of where Oregon's moving into like post Bo Nix era, because mm-hmm. obviously you have reloading at skill positions or bringing back at the skill positions. But like the thing that I took mostly away from like this year's recruiting class is just like they're building up like their front seven to just mm-hmm. be an absolute monster. Like and it's. Yeah. It's it's absolute athletic freaks on the edge like like Mateo that can kind of like do multiple things, um, but then also like bringing in like Elijah Rushing and like the the old other multiple four or five star guys. It's um, it's going to be a bear to play to play that defense. Well, it's like you're not gonna it's not gonna be your Kayvon Thibodeau type where you're gonna play fifty snaps per game. You're gonna play. 30, 35 snaps per game and be rotating in and out, but still have that production. You hope Um, I just want to mention this one as just a perfect honorable mention for me. That was just a a gem. 
Dan's quote, move over Chip Kelly, big balls Dan has taken over Eugene. I was, <laughs> I was basically saying that I actually said this verbatim. I think some fourth down decision making from Lanning is going to swing some games late. And it's very sad to see how true that it was. Um, <laughs> <in the end. laughs> yeah, this is this is your fault, Zach. Yes, I, I'll take the blame. Um, I'd like to note that neither of us predicted that this would be the last year of the Pac-12 and that Oregon would be heading to the Big Ten. Um, but I think that we did a pretty good job in hindsight. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, not not bad. It's almost like um, we spend too much time around this. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so now let's get into what you're really here for. We want to get a retrospective, um, a recap of the 2023 season based on what we think were the best stories of the year. So I asked um, I asked you to bring five of your favorite stories or storylines from the year. It doesn't have to be a story that you actually wrote. It can more just be an event or an entertaining thing that happened throughout the year. Um, and also can be stories that you wrote because... Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of good pieces put out of the ether this year. So with that being said, do you have any questions before we start? No, let's 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 let it rip. All right. The floor is yours. Go ahead and give me your first story of the year. You know, one of the stories that I really liked, and I'm kind of playing this off of a, a story that I had on the corridor last week where I had a conversation with Oregon offensive line coach Elite Terry. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was always fascinating to me of how much during like the crystal ball era, it was like, it was very like chest thumping. We're an offensive line school. Like we're big, we're physical. We can do all these things. And in the two years post crystal ball, Oregon's offensive lines have been like as good, or maybe this year even better than some of the ones that they've, they've ever had. And this year's was especially fun just because you lost some really good pieces from last year's offensive line. You lost like uh, Alex Forsyth, Ryan walk, like a, a lot of, a lot of predictions of Oregon's 2023 season were based around, well, we don't know how well like this offensive line is going to be. Um, and they were awesome this year. Like, like they were so good. And the fact that like you have a guy in like Jackson powers, Johnson, who, has probably wanted to be an Oregon duck more than anybody that I like even dating back to like his recruitment. Like I remember he was like on uh, leading the charge, like recruiting other players. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of times like you'll see that and it's from a player who ends up not being like that great. It's kind of like yeah. a, like let's all be part of the club sort of thing. It's like a walk on. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. And honest to God, I thought that's maybe what Jackson was going to turn out to be. And then he ends up being turning into like one of the best offensive linemen in program history. No one else well, has won the, the Remington, Remington trophy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so like, I, like I knew, I knew Bo Nix was going to be good this year. Like I knew the skill positions were going to be good. Um, but to have something kind of like surprise you like that and, and also just have it happen for like a first year head coach, uh, yeah. uh or sorry, not a head coach, but positional coach, mm-hmm. uh, and elite Terry who, um, who just has like a pretty fascinating career and like wanted to be at Oregon like a long, long time ago. Um, I think that's my, my first one of the year because I think that offensive line set the stage for so much of what Oregon's offense was able to do this year. Yeah, that's perfect. I love it. And it's interesting to go back because even in the podcast that we were talking about uh, last offseason, we were saying we're like, yeah, I mean, we'll see how good the running game is because we don't. there's so many question marks about this offensive line. And the fact that Terry this year said that, like, yeah, I told the offensive line, hey, you're the weak spot on this team. Like everyone is doubting you and they're questioning whether you can be good enough for us to succeed. And they kind of they stepped up and um, they made took it made a point to actually be, you know, the dominant uh, position group on the team like 
like do you know how a lot of times you'll see Oregon players sell their jerseys at the end of their career yeah. like like Nix's will go for a lot of money not only because yeah. he was great but because it has the least amount of grass stains on it like that's that guy was true. barely touched in his Oregon yeah. career that's very true all right my first story this is not a, a single instance but yeah once something that we saw like kind of grew throughout the season I'm going to pick the introduction of the cinematic recaps that oh, ooh, every, ooh, I like I like week. that I think that that was probably just from like a fan's perspective and a media perspective, one of the most entertaining things because we got to see this deep dive into, you know, once they threw like the coaches audio from the sideline um, headsets into there, you saw the locker room talk, you saw pregame talk. Um, I think that that was just one of the most beneficial and, and valuable things for fans. I mean, that became an event each week. We knew that on Monday night or Monday afternoon, those videos would come out. Um, I think that that was just one thing that I think fans will remember this season for that. We'll see if they continue into the future. I think they probably will. Um, but that's something that was definitely fun to consume each and every week. I I thought they did such a good job on those. And, and you've, it's also amazing how quickly those trends, those trends spread too. Cause it seems like, and maybe Oregon wasn't the first to do them, but I'm sure like organs were the ones that got the, the most views really quickly. And now like even I've been following my Montana Grizzlies route to the D one double a or the F the FCS final. And and they've been doing the cinematic recaps. Uh um, Yeah. It's, it's great. Like it, it, it reminds me of kind of like the old school, like uh, NFL. um, uh, Oh my God. Why am I forgetting the name of the show? Like just like the, the NFL when they're all mic'd up with. uh, um, Oh yeah. I, I forget what the name is too, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I, I, I love that extra access. And the, and the fact that like all of these schools are producing these on their own. Like there's just, there's so many talented individuals in, in the, I don't want to say content, but just in like the <clears throat> audio visual uh, uh, side of, of this sport. <laughs> Absolutely. And it just, I mean, this is a very basic thing to say, but like, it's just so impressive what they're able to do with all of this content. Like we see the games, we watch the games, we, we see all the content that they're using, but then to see how they like, I just don't, I can barely put together a zoom call or edit a podcast, like a video podcast and to see what they do with the, the clips and overlaying and the sound and all this stuff. It's like, wow, you, you guys are not getting paid enough. I don't know what you get paid, but <laughs> what you're putting on the table is, is really incredible. All right. I think for my second thing, I'm going to do uh, Dan Lanning's emergence as a nationally known coach or just like as like kind of like a dude. And like there's yep. that's that's for like good and bad reasons. Like I, I, I think, you know, you can look back at like the Colorado game and like mm-hmm. the cameras being in there for the the what is it? We're, we're not chasing clicks. We're they're playing for clicks. We're playing for wins. That was on my list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, sorry. I'm, I'm going for, no, for no, a hanging fine. fruit with that one. You but you know, I, I think that was Dan, as we said earlier, is a very like perceptive and knows he, he you know, he knows how all this works. And so mm-hmm. I like I, I think that was a, a strategic move by him. And I think he knew that it was also going to be like viewed largely by by the nation. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was just kind of the start, you know, because then after that, you, you, you play two massive games against Washington. Your moves mm-hmm. are going to be dissected more. People know who, like the name Dan Lanning. It's not just some like obscure former defensive coordinator who didn't really play big college ball himself. Like yeah. like he's turning himself into a name. Now just comes the the baggage that comes with it because people are going to be aware that like, hey, Dan Lanning hasn't beaten Washington yet. Dan, mm-hmm. Lanning, you know, it's it's kind of cool that Oregon has that though as like a very 
known and associated ho- head coach with their brand, especially after like four years of like recycling, yeah. you know, like kind of like all yeah. of that changeover. It feels like he really knows how to play the game. Like you're saying he, like you look at someone like, you know, Nick Saban, like Davos, like um, Jim Harbaugh, they, they're kind of old and not in the game. They don't really play the media like Dan does. Um, it feels like he's, he kind of grew up in this age of college football and he knows what buttons to push in the media. He knows when to invite ABC camera crews into his locker room, what, going up against Deion Sanders and saying what he said. So yeah, I completely agree. That's just, this is the year that he really um, entered the, the national ether, I think in college football. And yeah, like you said, everyone knows who he is. Yeah, I, ab- ab- absolutely. All right. My second one. I am selfishly a little bit going to take this one. I'm taking the the Bo Nix chase for completion percentage in the Fiesta. Park. I like that because that was a uh, that was something that I, I I knew going into that game that he was going to be close. I did all the research on you know what he had to do, how many completions, how many incompletions he could afford himself, and then tracked it throughout the game. And I just think that was really fun in the third quarter and unfortunately in the fourth quarter too when he already had the record and then for some reason went back onto the field and proceeded to throw in completion and make it harder on himself to get that record <laughs> but in the end he did it um he probably took a couple of years off of our lives for making it that stressfully <laughs> in the end but um that was something that you know this is a year where he maybe didn't get the the upper echelon accolades that he wanted he didn't get the national championship he didn't get the heisman he did get the the college record for completion percentage which is not nothing um so i thought it was really cool to see him you know end his career doing that and uh doing it in pretty dramatic fashion as well he he ends up having such a like a unique spot in like the oregon quarterback pantheon because like as you said like he didn't he doesn't have like the rings that, that other people do, you know, he doesn't have the packs. Granted you do get one for the festival as much as we've all like diminished, like what the festival means, like over the last few weeks, you still get one for that. But like, he, he just doesn't quite have like the, he's not going to have the signature, like celebrating highlights that you can run on in the Hatfield down complex that you can with like Mm -hmm. Joey Harrington or Marcus or, or, or even Justin. But the fact that what he lost four, four games in his career or in two years at Oregon, Five. five five games yeah, yeah he really the first like, year like, second two this year yeah he he led for two years he led one of the most successful offenses Oregon's ever seen he did it while representing Oregon in a, a very professional very um um adapting to Eugene way like this is a guy like from the south like could have came in and acted like big time five star I'm you know I'm just a mercenary type of guy uh, I, I think the Knicks has completely embraced Eugene and Oregon in the program. And I think his ability to, to, to do that while mixing the play on the field um, is huge for this program, especially moving forward because it, it gives legitimate, it gives a lot of legitimacy to Dan Lanning. It gives a lot of legitimacy mm-hmm. to the ducks as a potential uh, portal destination. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's basically like their proof of concept. And so I think like, yeah, like you didn't quite, win the rings and you didn't get to the playoff and you didn't win the Heisman. But I think a lot of what comes next for Oregon still has like a lot of fingers to what Nick's did these two years for the ducks. And like you said, it was also, I mean, you mentioned the way that he embraced Eugene. It was also really cool to see how Eugene embraced him too. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. December, 2021. There was not a lot of happy reactions on social media when it was announced that Bo Nix was transferring to Oregon. Um, There's a lot of skepticism, but he really won over Duck fans over the next, you know, 
nine to 12 months and they, they loved him. They were super yeah. sad to see him go. I remember the, the lead to my Oregon, Georgia story back his first game when Georgia smoked them. And this was after Dan, like went released the depth chart. So he, like, you still didn't technically <laughs> know Bo Nix was starting or not because they hadn't named uh-huh. him, which was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think my lead was like, imagine the score if they would have released the depth chart. And it was kind of like, it was kind of like, like kind of like a snark. Because like at that time too, like I was like, all right, like this is the guy, like, like this is, this was the transfer that like you kind of like mortgage, like Ty Thompson's future on. And this um, was the coach. And yeah, we didn't know about yeah. Dan either. And they've been lights out ever since, except yeah. for when they've played Washington. <laughs> yeah. That, that one minute detail. All right, like literally. Uh, <laughs> what's your? I guess there was story? the the one Oregon State game last year, but yeah, oh, that's, that's a different yeah, com- we, that's a different conference. Forget now. about that one. <laughs> um, my next one is kind of coming back to that a little bit. It's just mm-hmm. the I remember after that Georgia game, looking at that score and remembering just the ocean that it felt like Oregon was to being a national title contender. It just felt mm-hmm. like, like, Oh my God, like they're going to have to recruit like animals for like the next like 10 years to build up a base to like get to get closer to Georgia. As we said earlier, they were six points away this year. They were a missed field goal in the, in the first game and, and you know, a, a nail biter of a second game away from beating Washington. And I know that hurts for Oregon fans. Like, couldn't couldn't come to a worse team twice but the fact that like you can like kind of come away from like this year after a 40 point win in a new year six game and watch the 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 playoff games that came after it and it's just like Oregon was just as good as all of those teams and I those teams (laughs) and and there there was no there was no point for me during Cristobal's tenure where I felt like they were on the verge of winning a national title. I thought that maybe Correct. they were still putting the pieces in place to do that, but never did I think that like, it was like this thing's imminent. I think Oregon has every opportunity to win a national title in the next five years. I, I like Absolutely. they've, they've, they've built their mm-hmm. roster to a point where like, there's no, there's not the huge talent discrepancy that there used to be. NIL and the mm-hmm. transfer portal has really kind of even that out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be in the playoff or at least in the conversation for the playoff for most of the year with the expansion to 12 teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have a lot more eyeballs on this side of the country too, with like, yeah. it sucks that Washington's doing this, but there's going to be some payoffs to it because if you beat yeah. Washington next year and they're the national championship, like you're, you know, it's just, yeah. so it's a very hard year to sum up, but I think, I think coming away from it and being like, man, like Oregon, Oregon can win the national championship is, is my, is my kind of third, what was the third story? Of the year? Third. Yeah, that's third. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I think that's, I think that's really important too. Cause I talked to, I had Jerry Allen on the podcast. It was, I think it was before the civil war might've been before the Pac-12 championship game, but I asked him, I was like, you've covered, I mean, you covered 2010, you covered 2014 when they made it to the national championship game. What's different and what's similar about this team and those teams. And he said, you know what there is, I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it, but there is something different about this team. This team for the first time in so long feels like not only that they can win a national championship, but that they should win a national championship. Like this feels like one of those teams that has the talent and the ability to actually go out there and do it and not get lucky to do it, but actually go out and do it and grab that. It's just going to be interesting to be in a world though, where it always felt like, 
what was keeping Oregon away from actually winning it was like these almost like mythical teams from like different like the SEC or like the bit and but now it's just Washington. You know, know, it's like it's like it's like in your own backyard. Like yeah. this like this is the team who achieved it first. And if they win, there's gonna be a lot of stories that are about like the Washington way and like here's how Washington did it right and here's how you author a perfect turnaround. And all of it will be true. I'm not taking any credit away from them. Like Kalen DeBoer might as well be like the best co- coach in the country. Yeah. Uh, and there's going to be kind of like a, how does Oregon beat Washington? Like, like that sort of conversation. But it was like, you know, if Oregon would have lost to Georgia last year by three points, everyone would be feeling pretty damn good about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So exactly. it's, it's just, it's just crazy how quickly kind of the landscape of, of college football has changed within two years. Well, and this may, this, this will sound like sour grapes, but I want to see what the Washington way looks like when Penix isn't there and when, oh yeah, and all of, I mean, yes, they're having an incredible season. I don't want to take anything away from them, but I just, I'm just very curious to see what it looks like next year because Kalen DeVore, great, great head coach. Let's see it next year as well. I mean, it it very, and this is to take nothing away from Bo Nix who like, earned his way to to New York. And as I just said, deserves his place in Oregon history. But the difference between Oregon and Washington, might've just been like back in the portal, them taking different quarterbacks. And both of them were phenomenal. Like it was Mm -hmm. one quarterback who led Oregon to the number two ranking in the country or whatever the ducks got to. Um, But Michael Penix is the best college quarterback I've seen in person. He's just insane. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right, my uh, yes, my third story. We talked about this a little bit already, but we didn't go completely into it. Um, I'm taking the the Dan Lanning Texas A and M rumors turned down. Um, okay. You talked about his national emergence, um, but the fact that you know we talked about earlier with him kind of playing it perfectly and saying what he needed to say every time these coaching rumors came up. We saw it last year with Auburn. We saw it this year with Texas A and M. It feels you know Oregon fans always have this. I guess you could say chip on their shoulder or just uncertainty about their coach leaving them. I think right now, especially after what he said at Festival media saying that like this could be his last job as far as he's concerned. I think Oregon fans are starting to kind of believe that it may be to their detriment in a few years when he goes and takes a, an NFL job somewhere. But right. um, I don't know. It, it feels, I think that that was one of the better things to come out of this season that Oregon fans finally have a little bit of peace about who their head guy is and a little bit of confidence that he actually may be here for more than three, four years. Yeah. I mean, like I, I think at the very least with, cause I don't, I don't believe any coach and that's just the end of the sentence, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I, I think they unnecessarily kind of like pigeonhole themselves into saying like, I'm going to be here. You know, it's the same thing that happened with like Damian Lillard and the Blazers. It's like, you know, I, I, I believe Dame wanted to be him here the whole career, but like, obviously it's, it's hard to predict things that happen eight, nine, 10 years down the road. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe after winning six national championships in Eugene, Dan wants to like go dip his, dip his toes in the NFL waters and clean up with a couple of Super Bowls, retiring to Cabo, you know, like, you know, enjoy I don't think anyone could blame bit. him. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, man. I, 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 but I, I do think with all that, like, I don't think he's going anywhere in the next like two or three years. Like, I think you can have that absolute security. Like, I, I do think that I think there is a legit difference between him saying he wants to be here and like a, a crystal ball or whoever. Cause like, I, no matter how much crystal ball said he wanted to be here, you always knew he had that other place. And, 
Dan's real when he says like this, like this is where he's setting up like his D one legacy. Like mm-hmm. this is where like, you know, he, you can become a Kirby, you can become a, a Saban, you can become like, there's not a lot of those guys on the West coast. Like mm-hmm. it's happening in Seattle up with the De- DeBoer, but like you can really kind of etch your name into that legacy. And I, I think Dan's smart and he also knows like probably what would come with that. I mean, it's probably not, it probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to be the coach to win Phil Knight a championship. Probably not. Just, I think that might be a lucrative like, thing to do. Like like throwing <laughs> that out there. Like like there's there's positives that that come with being the Oregon's head coach and having success with it. So um, yeah, it's it's nice being in an off season where you're just not having to chase like even like the stupidest of message board rumors. Well, and even more so than just like the head coaching rumors, it's kind of been nice that knock on wood so far, we haven't had a lot of position coach rumors or anything going. I know that there's been some people, the whole Cole Martin transferring thing. And now right. people wondering if Demetrius is leaving. I don't know. Uh, that's definitely something to maybe follow. Not saying there's any actual smoke to that or fire to that smoke, whatever, but um, I don't know. It's just like you said, it's just been a very, um, relatively relaxing off season. And as soon as this posts, now we're going to yeah, exactly. blow up and you know, the ACC is going to disband and we're going to have a ton of more conference realignment to, to cover. Um, okay. So for my fourth thing, correct. I'm, I'm going to go just like the Ted's Johnson storyline. Uh, you know, I, 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 I do think that I think because of, you know, his whole story with Bo Nix, I think a little bit of like who Tez Johnson is got overlooked a bit on like the, the broadcast, because like the only thing they would ever bring up about him is the fact that he's Bo Nix's adopted adopted brother. brother. But after covering Justin Herbert and Patrick Herbert play together and that like equating to like nothing ever, the fact that this (laughs) like was a storyline in spring and fall and like, you were hoping that like the brotherly thing would work. And then it ended up being no receiver in Oregon history has caught more balls from a quarterback in a season, single season than those two, which I thought was just really cool. And I think Tez could be phenomenal next year with Dylan Gabriel. And because with that sort of accurate arm and and quick release. Um, Yeah. Tez Johnson, number four. It feels, I don't know if it's awesome or kind of, a bummer that we got this Troy Franklin season where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, the right. Greatest receiver in Oregon history, breaking all these records, doing everything. It's like, oh, a game later, Tez Johnson just breaks some of his records. And Tez Johnson, a year from now, might be the greatest receiver in Oregon history. But like, well, well, so it is awesome. That That's the thing, too, is I think Oregon's receiving core might even be better next year. And that's with Troy Franklin leaving. And yeah. like, Treshawn Holden's a, a monster, man. Really and good. And to see him kind of get some opportunities later in the year, you know, you go like, oh, where was that earlier in the year? Well, between Tez and Troy, they caught like, what, 160 passes between the two of them? At least. Not, yeah. There's not a whole lot more passes to go around. Like, So I, I think no. like just with the recruiting class they brought in, the guys that they're going to have returning, um, or, Oregon's receivers are going to be so fun to watch next season. And Which, Tez, might, Tez might catch 100 balls. Go back to what? 2019 2020 the the middle of the mario cristobal era and say that oregon's receiving group is going to be this good it's like wow i don't think that any of us would have ever expected that yeah and like no disrespect to those guys but compare like what oregon was running out there this year to like when jalen red is your number or like jalen red and johnny johnson are your number one and two receivers yeah those guys put together pretty good Oregon careers but they also had justin herbert throwing them the (laughs) that's that's very true 
All right, my fourth one. This is a specific moment, maybe the most specific moment that we got. I'm going to go the ending to the Texas Tech game because that is such a sliding doors moment in Oregon season. Just the fact that they got the Camden Lewis field goal to go up and then they got the um, you know significant to some pick six returned by Jeff Bossa. Um, I thought that that was just... That whole game was so interesting. I know I remember being there. The line was um, dropping in Texas Tech's favor before the game when Oregon fans all thought that they should be massive favorites. And then it kind of played out to where, you know, Texas Tech was actually winning for a good bit of that second half. But um, Oregon really came out and they they stopped it in the fourth quarter and they, they managed to win that game. And it's just interesting to see that that, I mean, I don't think it's crazy to say that that game could have been lost. I mean, you're oh, on the road, dude, a, a very absolutely. young team. And if they lose that game, the whole season is different. So I remember writing at the end of my story for that game that uh, I think my kicker was something along the lines of like, everything that Oregon's playing for this year is like still like within reach, but yeah. like buckle up. Cause it's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. And then in perfect I five corridor fashion, they didn't struggle again for like the next like nine <laughs> weeks up until they played Washington. <laughs> Smooth sailing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, it's just, uh, but yeah, but, but yeah, look back and just see, you know, that snapshot of kind of thought, I mean, we had high hopes going into the season and then they struggle like that early on. It's like, okay, maybe we got over our skis a little bit projecting pac 12 championship and playoff spot. And then from there it's like, okay, no, they, they needed that to figure themselves out. Yeah, man. Their offense has been so good for, for having two different offensive coordinators. Um, It's, it's been, it's been pretty fun to watch, which is why for like my, my fifth thing, I knew the offense was going to be good, but as we said, in our predictions for this year, like, is this going to be the year that the off the defense actually does anything? And mm-hmm. I don't have it in front of me, but like how many, how many times did they hold people below 10 points this year? It was, it was a fair they amount of time. I'm pretty sure it's five opponents to six points. Like just seeing that. And, Including and, Liberty, who's the number three scoring offense in the nation. And, and being, whoever they played. Yeah. And being able to like watch a defense that's like routinely pressuring the quarterback and like getting pushed like in the front seven and, it's so tough because you grade so much of this year just based on like the Washington game and like what didn't work then. And you just have to look at it through the prism of like, that might be one of the best offenses in college football history. And this defense was great against everyone else. Like it, like it was, I loved watching the secondary Kyrie Jackson was, was a lot of fun to watch this year. I thought he was just like another great portal entry. That looks like another position that is going to be kind of a portal rotation. Yeah. Um, just because it's, it's kind of easier to plug and play and you get a lot of kind of NFL type bodies there. Um, but yeah, I, I think there was a lot of questions about landing coming into this year of weren't you the defensive guy? Like, yeah. well, you guys weren't that good last year. Like, where was that? Like, like what's going on with Tosh? And they like really established themselves as, as one of the nation's better defensive teams this year. And that's before they're really getting their guys in. Like, as I mentioned earlier, like they're really like, pumping in guys on that defensive line. So I, I think just being able to like round out as a complete team this year on the defensive side was, was a huge storyline for them. And to be able to do that in a season where we came into the year saying, this may be the best offensive pack 12 season we've ever, you know, projected because you had guys like Caleb Williams, Michael Penix, Cam rising, DJ Uyunglele, Cam Ward, so many good quarterbacks. I'm sure I'm leaving out several, um, 
but the fact that they were able to actually have a really good defense and step up this year, it's like, oh, wow, okay, Dan Landing, yes, you are a defensive guy. I, I'm sorry for ever doubting that you could actually put a good defense on the field. I, I felt so bad for Caleb Williams when they played USC because I, uh, first of all, I was blown away by Caleb Williams. Like the, the, the plays that he was, the plays that he was making just to get off like incomplete passes were like un, <laughs> unreal, man. But USC's offensive line was garbage. And that was the game that like, man, Oregon's front seven was just eating oh, them up. And that so was good. Yeah, that was fun to watch. Like yeah. when you have, when you, when you have like a strength on strength like that, it's mm-hmm. it's fun to watch, and it's it's not always that Oregon's defense is, is is like the strength to watch. Yeah, it was really refreshing this year. To actually, it's just I think it's obvious it's more fun to have an offense that's able to put up fifty points a game. But I don't know, there's something special about watching a team that actually has a defense that can stop someone else. I don't know. I think I might enjoy that type of football more. Not saying like Iowa, but just someone who has a top ten defense is fun. I, I will say. I think we as a media and maybe Oregon fans in general do get a little short-sighted in terms of like Oregon's never had defenses before because we were we were running with a lot of this same narrative in 2019 when Andy Avalos was like leading mm-hmm. that defense. Um, I think in retrospect, considering how often the other team had the football, Nick Aliotti's defenses were very good when yeah. when they need when they needed to be yeah. um, for those Chip Kelly years. I mean. You know, there you can you can run down some pretty big named uh, uh, Oregon yeah. defensive stars from that era, but statistic, but statistically, like this one was as good and may, maybe better than than most of those. So yeah, I agree. All right, my final storyline. This one's kind of an all encompassing one. I'm just doing the brothers. There were three set of brothers, three sets of brothers on this team that I think it was very fun to watch and provided some great storylines. We already talked about Bo Nix, Tez Johnson, adopted brothers, so I'm not going to go too deep into them, but you also had Ayapani and Feope Lalulu, and you had, well, actually, I'm sorry, this is not three sets of brothers on the team, because I'm also mentioning Mateo and DJ Uyo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Three sets of brothers in Oregon. Um, yeah. They provided a lot of good stories. Um, I wrote a, a good story on um, Ayapani Lalulu, um, Poncho, as we'll call him from here on out, um, stepping in at the center role in the one snap during the Washington game that Jackson Powers Johnson couldn't go. And it was cool. The the TV broadcast showed Feope, um kind of hyping him up on the sideline and kind of walking him out onto the field with his hand on his helmet and then kind of patting him on the back as his older brother. And I talked to their mom about that and she told me how special of a time it was for them. And then when you talked about the Uyunga Lulays, that the chance that a younger brother, an edge rusher has a chance to go up against his older brother, the quarterback on the other team and actually get credited for a sack. I don't know that he, um, I think there may be some controversy in the family on whether that was a sack or not because he pushed his offensive lineman into him, but still, um, I thought that I was just, you know, some home cooking of the books there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's cool to see those family ties just, uh, in this sport that, you know, doesn't always provide that. I, and what I like about that too is, you know, Oregon, and I, I don't know like how unique this is specifically to Oregon, but we're closer to we're we're in Oregon, so we see it more. But they still get a lot of the brother bro, uh, brother combinations without having many of them like local. You know, it's yeah. it's 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 <laughs> your your. I think that shows that like you're probably doing a good job with delivering on what you promise. If yeah. if you're getting a, a second sibling to come across the country and yeah, or in, in a, or in a couple instances across the ocean from from yeah. Hawaii to, to come play yeah. up here, so. Um, yeah, I always, I always love those stories. Do you have any honorable mentions left on the board? 
Oh, man. I know we kind of briefly mentioned this, but like the Deion Sanders lap around <laughs> Otson before the game, you know, with like, like 10 every minutes. Yeah. That was so yeah. Funny. With, with, with like his whole, you know, group around him. Uh, I think the thing I'll take away most from that game is when we get down to the sideline, um, you know, there's like five minutes left. The game's a blowout. Mm-hmm. And I just see Terrell Owens like on one knee at the very like far end. And he looks like that kid in little league. Who's like in the outfield practicing his pitching motion, like hoping the coach like sees him to like, Oh, like this kid should pit. like, like TL looked like he was like loosening it up, like hoping Dion would put him in the game. Still got eligibility. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, ah, oh, man, I, I just, that was a circus and I loved it because usually I hate the first like month and a half of college football season mm-hmm. because you have like, games against teams that you know it just doesn't it's either yeah. blowouts or, or non-rivalry games and and for oregon to get colorado at the height of colorado before like the all the wheels came off uh yeah that was pretty that was pretty fun no thank you to the scheduling gods for giving oregon <laughs> colorado's first pac-12 game and then you know we didn't even mention the colorado the whatever player that was stomping on the o before the game oh yeah right yeah. it's just like then again the cinematic recap where they're talking all of the trash to each other pre-game and it's just that's it was incredible stuff great content all around yeah so uh definitely that one um I thought Autzen was just like a fun environment most of this year. Like, like, I don't know. I feel like there's some seasons where it swings a little bit just in terms of like stadium environment. And I, I think this was a relatively beloved group of players Yeah, and that played a brand of football that I think the crowd kind of really embraced. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not basing this at all on attendance figures, just on kind yeah. of feel of it. Just vibes. But, yeah. 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 Just, just on the vibes were good. You can, yeah. you can pull quote that the vibes were good. <laughs> 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 um, one that I had, this one technically happened after the season, unless you want to count the Fiesta Bowl as part of the season. Then this happened during the season, the addition of Dante Moore in the transfer portal. Yeah. I think that's is, like, that's a fascinating one. Yeah. It's so fascinating because you I mean, it's just, it feels like it lines up so perfectly. It feels like that type of perfection doesn't happen that you would get a former five-star kid coming in and being willing to sit for a year and develop and take over in the future behind another, you know, incredible quarterback. Just like that. It feels too lucky. It feels too right. good to be true. And, and, and that's what I mean in kind of the Bo Nix legacy too, is that mm. probably doesn't happen if, if Bo Nix doesn't completely change his career around in, in the Yeah. That's yeah, very true. But I, right. I also, uh, I, I was, just, I was just going to say, like, I, I just, what year do you think it's going to be when Oregon has a quarterback that they recruited from high school that becomes the starting quarterback? Achilles Smith. Like, I think it has to be. So be that's twenty twenty five, but he won't start in twenty twenty five. He'd start in twenty twenty six, maybe. I'm, I'm gonna throw it out there. It's twenty twenty seven. Yeah. You think so? Yeah. 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 That'd mean Dante we'll Moore would stay two years, which wouldn't be a bad thing either. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> quick question for you. Are there any stories that you have on the docket that you're excited about writing in the next few days, few weeks? I saw you had one today on the Oregon State player. Oh, man. I had This was like right in my wheelhouse. It was uh, Oregon, <laughs> or, or Oregon State has the sophomore on their men's basketball team who's six foot uh-huh. nine. His dad was a first-round pick in the NHL. Uh, okay. And he wanted he wanted nothing other than to be his dad when he grew up, but uh-huh. his mom is a six foot four former pro WNBA player. His dad's six foot four, so that led to six foot nine kid. Um, <laughs> which like they're like Zdeno Chara is in the NHL Hall of Fame, 
one of the best hockey players of all time. He's six foot nine, but he's also the only six foot nine player. Yeah. And it was around like midway through high school that Tyler began to realize that he wasn't going to be the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he started following, like going down, uh, his mom's career path and, and embracing basketball. And it's worked out well for the Beavers who are surprisingly awesome. decent this year. Like yeah, they, yeah, they're, not bad. they're, yeah, they're already like two wins away from where they were last year. You know, there's, you know, I don't think they have like a Jackson Shellstad type on their team yeah. yet, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, so that that story was up today. I'm going to do kind of like a a few like obits on the 2023 football season, mm-hmm. and then um, I think going to really kind of gear up for basketball. I, I really nice. like this Oregon team, and I think it's they're a pretty really fun, fun year, so. basketball season so far. I haven't been this excited. Like usually, when football ends and you kind of have to make that transition to basketball, it's kind dude. Of like, sometimes oh, it's rough. It's it can last be rough. year, last two years. <laughs> yeah. it, I mean, it flat out sucked. Yeah. We can say that it was not fun last yeah. two years. This year, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to tomorrow's game to watch uh, the debut of Mookie Cook and just see what this team can do. Exactly. And just like, yeah, like having two or three Oregonians, if you count Nate Biddle, which, you know, maybe maybe he comes back this year. Maybe he doesn't. But um, yeah, it just it feels it's like Dana finally has a team that like fans can kind of connect at least some pieces to a little bit. And they're and they play hard. So. It's like that post-mortem that he went on last year, uh, degrading <laughs> fans about their lack of buy-in actually worked because things are starting to line up in a way you know, that you know, we you haven't know, P- seen in a while. PR 101, I've always said, is <laughs> just take it out on the fans. Yeah. <laughs> Drive to Roseburg and take it out on the fans. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, All right, man. Tyson, thank you so much for coming on going through this recap. Um, go ahead and tell people where they can find you, how they can best support what you do because you do some great journalism in the state of Oregon. Yeah, if if you just go to i5corridor.com, um it can be i-5 corridor, it can just be i5 corridor. I I'm I'm a growing businessman and I bought the other <laughs> domain last week, so this is Very what smart. takes us to the top. But um <laughs> yeah, like this, this this is my full-time job. I I love telling stories about Oregon and kind of the state and sports in this this area and I think I do a pretty good job at it and would just love it if anybody would want to kind of mosey over and and support a little bit. Absolutely. And if there's there's listeners of this podcast who don't already follow Tyson and aren't subscribed to I5 Quarter, you need to change that because this is seriously some of the best reporting around Oregon, Oregon State, Portland State, all of it up and down the corridor, obviously. Um, really good stuff. So go do that. Go get a subscription. It's it's really worth it. Tyson, thank you again for coming on. We'll uh we'll hopefully let's let's try and do a preview again of the, uh, the yeah. 24 season. I like how this, this went. I like the format. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I'll, you know, throw in a couple more ones in there of, uh, you know, having to hire a whole bunch of employees because of all the corridor success this coming year. Yes. So. And let me yeah. keep me posted on that Pulitzer. Let me know when you get those. <laughs> yeah. 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 We'll, we'll, we'll tweet something out. Yeah. All right. Thanks Tyson. Yep. All right. That's going to do it for us today. Like I said, we will have another, the, uh, the second part of this two part season recap episode coming out on Thursday morning. Um, you know, I'm going to, going to go through some of my year end awards and then just kind of, um, wrap up this season before we, we transition into the full on basketball season. So you can expect that to be ready. I hope on Thursday morning, if I get it edited on time, uh, maybe on Thursday afternoon, Thank you guys for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at duckswire.usatoday.com. Follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. We'll talk to you guys next week. Until then, take it easy.